You are on trend with the Alumni Trending Podcast. My name is Paul Clifford, and throughout my career in higher education, my mission has been to connect alumni to what they love most about their alma mater and to activate them in ways that support the aspirations of the institutions I have served. As advancement professionals, we are leading a movement, a mobilization of alumni in support of education for a lifetime. On this podcast, you will hear the voices leading our profession, advancing our institutions, and keeping higher education strong around the world. You are going to learn and be inspired by the passion and purpose driving these advancement professionals right here on Alumni Trending. What's up, trendsetters? Welcome to the Alumni Trending Podcast. I am excited about today's episode. We are welcoming back one of our earliest guests on the podcast. We're going to talk to Jen Heisey from the University of Cincinnati. We talked to her right at the beginning of the pandemic. And at that point, we were talking about plans. And now we're going to talk about how those plans played out for her and her team at the University of Cincinnati, what they've learned and how that's going to shape their future. So, Jen, welcome into the podcast. How are you? Hi, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have a chance to reconnect and talk again. And I'm thrilled to be on the podcast one more time. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't congratulate you and your Cincinnati Bearcats on a fantastic run this year. You got yourself into a New Year's Six Bowl, which is going to be a little bit unusual because not as many fans are going to be able to travel and you're not going to be able to have alumni engagement around that bowl game. But uh, but an unbelievable season for your Bearcats nonetheless. Oh my gosh, it's been such an exciting year. And, you know, the worst part was just not being able to be there in person at the games and really cheer on our student athletes, our football team and our coaches. They've done such an exceptional job and, you know, undefeated outright American champions. So we're really excited about that. And the Peach Bowl is a huge opportunity for us. We're thrilled to be there. Um, You're right, though. It's very strange for me in my position because normally we would be very busy planning every last detail of our alumni gatherings and what we are doing. And unfortunately, you know, we're not able to be there in person and you know, rally our fans and rally our alumni around this game. So we did have a small allotment of tickets and we do have some fans traveling, but with all the strict guidelines, we just felt it was most appropriate to not do any type of large scale event. So we're watching from afar and everyone's creating their own experience. But, you know, just like kind of everything else this year, people are finding their own way to experience what they want to experience. And it's different, but exciting nonetheless. Well, let's let's go back to the start of all this, right? The the reason that we're still sitting in a, a work from home kind of stature and and the reason that we can't travel to bowl games this year is is because of COVID-19 and the the pandemic that we've been dealing with. We talked to you earlier on the podcast and you talked about some of the the plans and how your team had pivoted uh, at that point back in the June and July timeframe. How did those plans work out for your team? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot on my mind. One, I got to tell you, I have much better technology to do something like this. Paul, last time I think you and I did it through the phone, (laughs) our our iPhones, and this time I have a nice headset and I'm on the computer. And so we've all gotten much uh, used to and have supplied ourselves with the equipment to do this cool stuff. 
um, and feel much more comfortable with it. But, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of things on my mind in terms of reflecting in the last year. There's a lot we've learned and we've adapted. And I think, um, you know, I could say the very first thing on my mind is that I've come to realize, not that I didn't know it before, but, you know, it has heightened my awareness of what a wonderful team I have. Um, and I'm so blessed to be working with an exceptional group of people. I feel like in kind of tough and challenging times and through change, people can either sort of dive, survive, or thrive. And I'm with a team who really took a step back, got really creative, really fast. They were innovative, thinking of new ways, and had such a can-do spirit. And um, I think that served us quite well. So, I, you know, right off the top, I think you know, the people you surround yourself with and the um, culture you create makes a huge difference. And we really, I can say, I feel like this team, our alumni team and our annual giving team really, really thrived in this situation. So I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of this team. And I'm hoping that they're home resting <laughs> a bit right now because they've been going pretty strong. And, you know, so, I mean, I think that's one thing that really you know, bound us together and we just found a way to kind of get to it and keep working. Although, to your point, we worked quite a bit different, differently than we had before. Yeah, not only did you ramp up your technology acumen, right? But it also sounds like you shifted your your mindset. The the dive, survive, thrive mindset uh, it, it is a good way to take a look at the challenges that you had in front of you and your three options. And it sounds like you and your team have actually chosen to thrive, right? Right. Uh, coming together as a team, learning more about each other, probably working harder than you than you ever have, working differently than you ever have, and yet still achieving the kind of results that make an impact at the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, I think, you know, we took a step back and we really decided that um, we knew we had to shift. We knew we had to do things differently. And we still wanted to do, you know, the as much engagement as we possibly could and make it really meaningful. And I think that's what we all sat down and we said, you know, we aren't just here to kind of take what we used to do in person and make it virtual. We have to think about the situation we're in. We have to think about what's purposeful and relevant. How do we use people's time wisely? In other words, you know, here we are on, on these, you know, we're all working remotely. People have children to take care of. They have, um, oh, they're on Zoom calls all day. So if, if we're asking people to do something, it should be worth their time and meaningful and, and fun and valuable. So I really early on said, let's not, let's make sure we're not just trying to recreate what we do in person virtually. Let's figure out if it's worth doing. Um, and, and the staff really took that to heart, which I thought was pretty cool. So we, especially with the signature programs and things, we thought sometimes it might be better to just walk away from something. And I, you know, I kind of did my own test. Would I want to sit? Through that, would I would I take the time to log on and and take this in? So we really thought about what are important issues in life. There was so much going on in the world, from health to social justice to, you know, really people defining who they are as individuals, um, childcare. You know, as we said, so we thought, well, how do we offer programs and services that are really about life and growth and health and important issues? And then also, how do we do a few fun things, but in the right way? 
we've really kept track of our experiences, how many people we have participated, um, how many are first-time participants. We had people coming to our activities and deciding to dial in because they could do it from anywhere they were in the world. So we had people who've never participated before come and show up. We had we joked around that one of our we did you know kind of some fun happy hour type things too. Um, but all were kind of guided and gave people something to learn. And we had, you know, mothers and daughters and friends that lived across the country decide to come and participate together. And there were there was some of that kind of unifying moments and the camaraderie that could not have happened in person. So we're really trying to hone in on those things that I think for will forever change the scope and how we do our work will ultimately end up, I think, expanding our scope because we will get back to in-person activities and we'll have all this opportunity to do outreach in a kind of new and different way than we ever thought possible before. And now people are really comfortable with it and used to it. So it won't seem like a real kind of chore or, or intimidating, I think, for people to kind of get on and engage with us in that way. Yeah, I, th- I think as I've had these kind of conversations with our colleagues around the country, everyone has expressed certain levels of success with virtual engagement. All have been uh, predominantly positive. All have learned something from the virtual engagement space. But our learning over the past six months may or may not be as relevant as we think it is once we go back to face-to-face, right? Will people still want to participate virtually? What what does the virtual offering around uh, face-to-face events look like, right? What do you think you've learned during this COVID-19 period that's going to stick with your program into the future? I think there's a couple of things. One that really doesn't, well, I mean, I guess it does have to do with events, but it's much broader than that. I've learned a lot about data, customization, individualization. People are... I've found this year, maybe more than ever, really expressing who they are fundamentally. You know, what makes us us, what matters to me as an individual, how I define myself, and that people are becoming more and more comfortable saying, this is who I am as an individual, and I want that to be respected. I think there's obviously great diversity in that for our alumni base and this sort of one-size-fits-all, or we're going to do a big communication or a big event and expect it to kind of work for everyone, I think will change a bit. I'm finding that we really need to speak and communicate with alumni as individuals, which means we have to capture better better data. We have to expand our technology and learn how to customize within a reasonable framework. We have not quite as large as you, Paul, but we have a large alumni base of 315,000 alumni. And that's hard to do. And we're competing with an instant gratification world where all of these, you know, mega companies, the Amazons, the Netflix, the Hulus, the down to the grocery stores and everyone else are really customizing your experience and speaking to you about what what you as an individual, who you are and what you enjoy. And people are willing to express that. I mean, even at the holidays, just saying happy holidays, you know, just isn't cutting it. Really, people want to hear, I'm I'm Jewish. I want to hear happy Hanukkah. I'm, I want to hear Merry Christmas. I want to hear happy Kwanzaa. I want you to understand what this means to me. And 
that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, across the board, we want, we heard from our alumni, I want you to speak to me for who I am. And so I think so much of what we do is going to be a lot more targeted and a lot more valuable and, and intimate. And we might have smaller scale events, which I do think our online and virtual experiences can help make that come to life. Um, where we're getting people in smaller groups doing things that are really meaningful and purposeful. And um, there will probably have, I, I think we'll have a, a larger volume of things that we offer, um, but things that are really, um, that really matter to people and speak to them as individuals. We had created, we created a whole health series this year, which I think is the start of how we're going to approach um, some opportunities in the future. So we called it Bearcats Health. It was out of the Alumni Association, and it's really a forward-thinking series on health and wellness. We had such wonderful resources because we're partnered with our UC Health System, and we had various panels of experts um, who would come to the table and talk about important health issues. And clinical experts, you know, they would explore the COVID-19 pandemic, racial inequities in healthcare, resilience during times of stress all things that really matter right now. And people are, are kind of craving knowledge around. And so I think um, those are the types of things and the types of thinking we're evolving to. Um, we're, of course, you know, we'd still do a bowl event. We'll still do, you know, some big, you know, award celebrations at some point. But I think we really are trying to understand our alumni better, who they are, what they need in life, and how we can help propel them and give them something meaningful to you know, develop themselves personally or professionally. And I really think more and more, we need to differentiate ourselves and, and, and offer something that our alumni can't get elsewhere. So I always ask my guests on the podcast uh, where they think we are trending. I would imagine that your answer is probably very similar to the one you just gave around a greater level of customization and talking to our alumni as if we know them at, at a deeper level. So I'm, I might ask the question a little bit differently. What are some of the steps that you all are taking at UC to to get to that goal? First of all, a, a big project that we intend to work on the second half of the year is in partnership with our um, advancement services team and also our vice president for equity and inclusive excellence on campus. We realize that you know, our database is antiquated. How we store data, how we accumulate data, what data we choose to put in and store and how we use it. And so we really are looking at all the ways that we can have a more inclusive data experience. Some of that is, you know, we looked at our data and realized we don't know the ethnicities. We don't know the preferences. We don't know even what's really basic respect. And I, I, you know, I'll have to be really honest. I ran into a situation where I had an alumnus who, you know, was a gay married man. And he got some communication to us that said to Mr. and Mrs. And he thought, well, there's a big presumption here. What we realize is we're, we're really working in antiquated data systems that are set up for an outdated way of thinking and behaving. We really need to do change it. We need to understand. I, it's really hard, like we were talking about before, with this mass over 300,000 people to be able to 
do the work we know to do and to connect with people at that level if we don't know them and we don't respect their preferences and we don't understand them as individuals and humans. Our database right now isn't really set up to do that in the way we'd like it to. We all share one system with the foundation and I think historically a lot of these databases have been set up for a philanthropic or a higher education just base of information. And if we really want to connect with people the way we know to build relationships, um, the way they feel about us, you know, we to give that back, we have to know them. And so to me, my next big step is a huge data and systems overhaul and how we attack that big problem for us. And then ultimately, you know, the next step is the right technologies to be able to communicate effectively and pull that information back out of the system in order to, you know, speak to people in, a, in such a way that really shows we understand what they're passionate about, we know what they care about, and we know where their interests lie. So when you, you know, turn on any TV app, as we've watched so many of them lately, it says here, here's what I think you're interested in. And we have to be able to provide that type of service and um, relationship back to our alumni base. So to me, it's a big data and technology issue. And I think that's the biggest thing that I have on my docket to really tackle in, in the time ahead, because I don't think we'll be able to do what we intend to do without that type of information in our in the palm of our hands. Jen, thanks for joining us on the Alumni Trending Podcast. Well, thank you, Paul, for having me. And you know, I, I hope that some of these conversations can really continue because they're big, big things to tackle. And I know I can use some insight and help and all the you know good work that people are doing out there, I'd love to hear more about it so I can learn from the people doing it the right way. I'm John Fudo, Vice Chancellor for University Advancement at UMass Lowell, and I'm staying on trend by listening to the Alumni Trending Podcast. There you go, Trendsetters, another episode of Alumni Trending. If you are enjoying the Alumni Trending Podcast, make sure you go out to iTunes or your podcast app of choice and give us a rating and drop us a review. We'd also love to hear from you. Drop me an email at paul.clifford at alumnitrending.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and keep trending. <laughs>